Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Scott, your ears are looking really shiny tonight. Yeah, we're, we're going to need a substance check. Um, um, come take a look at this guy because, uh, I don't know, something's going on. Welcome into another off-season edition of Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, October 11th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we're going to recap that first round of the wildcard playoffs little ear gate going on with Joe Musgrove and the New York Mets. Uh, some statistical trends from this past season. The dust has settled. The data is ready to be evaluated. So I've got a whole bunch of different things from home runs, steals, saves, innings pitched. We'll get to all that. What we got right and wrong, lessons learned. And Scott, please don't judge me. But I have started my first draft for next year. Don't judge that. That's <laughs> fine. Well, wait, is it is it like it's not just a mock you're saying? It's a real Oh, it's a it's it's a real draft. It counts. It counts, okay. yeah. Well, yeah, he kind of seemed like a degenerate then. Oh, that's okay. It's all right. That's I all right. I came to that realization years ago, so I'm I'm <laughs> totally fine with it. Uh but yeah. I went on the NFBC, I saw a draft, it was like fourteen out of fifteen, staring me in the face. I was like, all right, I'll just do it. Plus I could just use this to evaluate basically all season long and uh, all off season long and, and see what other people are thinking. But yes, we do have a stacked show. So uh, let's jump in. Scotty, how's the weekend, man? Did you watch any of the playoffs? I watched a little bit of the playoffs. Yeah, I did. I did. What'd you think? Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you got to start with the Mets, right? Meet the Mets. Uh, I can't do that. I feel bad. I, 100 wins. They're out after the first weekend of, of the playoffs. DeGrom, it's Grom, Scherzer, 101 win team. Yeah, I mean, that's that that goes to show you how big that series was in Atlanta, the, the second to last series of the season where the Braves swept and, and thereby took the season series, which ended up being the tiebreaker. The two teams tied with 101 wins. Uh, but the the Braves got the first round by, and the Mets got knocked out in three games by the Padres. So don't say it with such exuberance, Scott. No, <laughs> I mean, look, it's Gosh. it's unfortunate. I mean, certainly 
you know, I'd certainly I've experienced a lot of early exits as a, a fan myself, but you know, that's when, when you have a best of three series, that's going to happen a lot. Yeah. It's just such a small, uh, small amount of time to, to sort things out and something fluky happens. in even one of those games, well, you know, obviously you have to win the other two and a fluky thing did happen in this, right? Max Scherzer had, some uh, some mechanical issues going on in game one and, and got knocked around a bit by the Padres. And then you Darvish on the other end did his thing. And uh, the Mets couldn't, couldn't then run the table to, you know, sweep the remaining two games to take the series. And so they're out. And uh, I, I think, I believe this is true, three of the four lower-seeded teams won. I mean... Yeah, yeah, three of the four lower seeded teams won. So there were three the the four series that happened, three of them were upsets. Yeah, that is correct. And three of them were swept, two out of three. So there wasn't it yeah. didn't require a third game outside of the Mets and the Padres. Speaking of the Mets, look, the final month of the season, they shot themselves in the foot, Scott. I, what comes down to is they they blew it. They lost some they had some bad losses against bad teams, the Cubs, the Pirates, the Marlins down the stretch. So Obviously, all eyes on that series with the Braves, but they have no one to blame yeah. but themselves, especially when well, you lose that many they, they games just had to, to take bad one. teams. They just had to take one against the Braves because it's then true. they did. They swept the, the Nationals to end the year. And so just one win against the Braves. Uh, the Braves lost two or three to the Marlins. The only game they did win to, to clinch the division was a 2-1 game against the Marlins. So, yeah, I mean, it, it came down to just one outcome for the Mets and... And maybe that would have been the difference between them going to the World Series or not. We'll never know. I mean, obviously, a one-two punch like DeGrom and Scherzer, you like you like that against any team. I'm not saying they would have definitely gotten there. Obviously, the Dodgers are good. The Braves are good. But could have could have been all the difference. And, and But that, I mean, that goes to show you how important it is. I, you know, it's, it, I do think it's a good thing that teams aren't able to you know, coast into the playoffs with whatever seed and basically have equal odds of advancing. You know, you got to, even if you're one of the three best teams in your league, you got to be pushing to, to be one of the two best teams in your league. So you could skip that chaotic best of three series. And I do think that's a good thing, but it is going to lead to disappointed fan bases when their team gets knocked off early. Uh, last point on this Mets Padres series, the Joe Musgrove thing, obviously, you know, start off the show, Scott's ear is glistening. I mean, it was... Here's my thought. Seven shutout innings for Joe Musgrove. He was fantastic. One hit, five strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes. He, he was very good. There were many images of his ear looking very shiny. I get that. And then they call for the substance check, and the umpires come out, and then there's a clip of him wiping his ear off with his jersey just before they come out to rub down his ears. And for anyone who wasn't aware, the spin rates were up across the board for Joe Musgrove in this start. His slider was up 248 RPM. His curve was up 170. His fastball was up 106. But his velocity was also up. And those things are correlated. So I have this tweet from Eno Saris. Joe Musgrove's velocity is up a tick. And his four-seam spin rate is two. These things are related. His spin per mile per hour is only up a little bit. 27.6 to 28 RPM per mile per hour. So more velocity equals more spin rate. Basically, Scott, what I'm saying is I don't think that there was anything wacky going on here. I just I think he pitched really well, but that's just me. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, Devin Fink, who I believe writes for uh, MLB Analyst, it says, uh, formerly with Fangraphs. Okay, that's what I was thinking for Devin Fink. Yeah, he basically said the same thing. He was probably amped up for the playoff spot, was throwing harder, and so the spin rates were up as a result. I mean, the umpires came in and checked and didn't find anything. So I think I think you got to let it go at that point. Uh, I th- It's certainly reasonable to conclude that that he wasn't doing anything nefarious. And if he was, he managed to evade the, the ways of checking it. So I, I don't think there's anything to fixate on at this point. Fair enough. Padres are moving on, as are the Seattle Mariners, who had a huge comeback on Saturday. They were down 8-1 to in that game against the Blue Jays. They stormed all the way back, and they won 10-9 to sweep that series. The Guardians pitching was amazing in that series against Tampa Bay. Did want to quickly highlight Tyler Glass now, Scott, who also looked great. He went five shutout with five strikeouts to zero walks, 15 swinging strikes on 63 pitches in that game on Saturday. And he made three starts, which spanned 11 and two-thirds innings pitched. He allowed just one earned run during that time. I know I asked you last week about, you know, where you might have him ranked, which is obviously very early and subject to change. But in this draft that I'm doing, which will count, (laughs) he was the SP25 off the board, which might be aggressive, but he also looks really, really good. And he was awesome the last time we saw him, too. So he went just ahead of Robbie Ray, Clayton Kershaw, Logan Webb. What do you think about that, Scotty? I mean, it wouldn't be me. Yeah. It wouldn't be me. I've I've long tended to emphasize durability over ratio, like raw stuff, uh, the potential for killer ratios. Tyler Glasnow's career high in innings is 111 and two-thirds. And you know, maybe he'll set a career high next year. But, you know, just the pitchers you were saying went after him. I mean, Robbie Ray, he had an uneven season. I get it, but there were a lot of dominant starts in there and he was the Cy Young winner just last year, you know? And no, I, I couldn't take Tyler Glasnow over them. I think Tyler Glasnow is good. There's certainly a point where I'd be happy to take him, but that's putting a lot of eggs in that basket that, uh, that really, really, there really hasn't been much to justify it, I don't think. Yeah, me personally, I wouldn't take Glassnow over Robbie Ray either, but uh, Glassnow versus Logan Webb, eh, I think that's a little bit closer. You know, the, the stuff isn't nearly as good for someone like Logan Webb. He's more of um, an accumulator, an innings eater, if anything. So, I don't know, that one's a little bit closer, but we'll have all offseason to figure that out. And last but not least, the Phillies wound up winning their series against the St. Louis Cardinals, and uh, they had a big comeback on Friday. They, they were trailing going into the ninth inning. Uh, they had a big ninth in that one. And speaking of the ninth inning, Scott, Zach Eflin has pitched the final inning in the Phillies' last three wins. So this is dating back into the regular season. I don't know what their situation is like in the offseason, but I just kind of thought it was interesting that even with having David Robertson, and I know they've used Alvarado in some higher leverage situations recently as well, the team has opted to go with Zach Eflin. Just kind of interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I think that'll come back to bite them if they continue doing that. Yeah, I mean, I presume Eflin's probably going to be used as a starter next year, and it won't be a situation that continues beyond the playoffs, if it even continues that long. All right, and farewell to the Cardinals greats, obviously. Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina, maybe Adam Wainwright. I don't know if it's been confirmed whether or not he is retiring. Kind of seems like he might do it. it. 
it, it would make sense with all of his buddies retiring as well. But I, I watched an interview with Yadier Molina where he was getting emotional and it's an, it's the end of an era. You know, these are guys that I, I frankly grew up watching uh, throughout my entire, you know, baseball livelihood. My base, my fantasy baseball fandom has included all of those names with the Cardinals. So it's just kind of weird uh, to see them all go. Let's jump in, Scott, to, to some statistical trends this season. And we will start off uh, with home runs. I mentioned I've got some speed, something about steals. I've got innings. I've got uh, strikeouts. I've got saves. But we will start with home runs, which were definitively down this season. 5,215 home runs hit in the regular season. The fewest in a full season since 2015. Here's the breakdown. Uh, hitters with 40-plus homers the last three full seasons. Four this year, five last year, 10 back in 2019. Obviously, that was like the height of the juice ball era. Hitters with 30-plus home runs the last three seasons. 23 this year, 43 last year, 58 back in 2019. That is just a huge disparity. 30-plus home run hitters, 23 this year, 43 last year. And then 20-plus home run hitters the last three seasons, 71 this past season, 102 uh, last year and 129 back in 2019, Scott. So uh, as we, you know, figured throughout the course of the season, now that we actually have the data to back it up, there's just not many as many home runs being hit throughout the course of baseball. Yeah, I mean, you compare 2019, which was when the juice ball was at its juiciest, to 2020, and you're talking about 20 home run hitters. It's it's almost half the number. Just from just from 2019, just three years earlier, and 30 home run hitters, it's even less than half the number hitting 30 plus home runs. But this is a more conventional aesthetic. I mean, the the juice ball era was weird in that way, how widespread home runs were, and it lasted so long. I mean, you say 2015 that the 2015 was the last year that league wide this this few home runs were hit. Well, 2015 was the year before the juice ball era started. Yep. 2016 is considered the starting point of that. So, you know, 2015 to me isn't that long ago because I've been doing this job for 15 years. But for a lot of people listening, I mean, their entire the entire time they've played fantasy, or at least the as, as far back as they can remember, they're used to everybody who's anybody being able to hit 20 home runs and we're getting away from that. And I think that's a good thing. It's going to make the game a lot more strategic because it's going to give you a lot more to think about in terms of uh, statistical scarcity. If you play in a roto league and that's going to translate to positional scarcity and the positional scarcity thing is going to matter in all formats. Like I had been frustrated with points leagues in recent years because you know, particularly the CBS standard points leagues, you, you start just nine hitters. It, it became really hard to differentiate yourself at, at the hitter spots. It was basically just how much pitching do you have in points leagues because the hitters, you know, you could you could find eight guys who hit just as well as your opponent's eight guys without trying that hard. And that's not going to be the case anymore. So it's a very good thing for the health of the fantasy game, but it's, it's going to be an adjustment for people. And... Uh, I mean, I assume many people experience that adjustment just going through this season, and hopefully we can help 
lead them the right direction so that they're better prepared for it next year. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean for fantasy, right, Scott? I think you, you just broke it down, but in layman's terms, it's there's a bigger disparity between the haves and the have-nots, specifically when it comes to home runs and sluggers, right? So that's why we're going to see Aaron Judge be likely a top three, no later than a top five pick in every draft next year, or uh, an emphasis on Pete Alonso as a second or early third round pick, or just guys that we can almost pencil in for 35 or 40 plus home runs. And those are the two names that, that stood out right away to me. Home runs to fly ball ratio, Scott. We, this is something we highlighted all throughout the season because we remember April was brutal. Offense was down. Power was down across the board. It was obviously still pretty cold around all the, the ballparks where baseball was being played. And we wound up at 11.4% overall. That was the home run to fly ball ratio. That was also the lowest since 2015, which makes sense on the previous stat, yep. which I gave out. April was 10%. May jumped up to 11.4, which is actually a pretty sizable increase month over month. June, 12.3, also pretty good. July, 11.5, so back down to that range where we were at in, in May. Uh, August was 11%, so dropping a little bit more. September slash October, pretty curious, Scott. I know we talked about this towards the end of the season. 11.8%, which is typically not what we see in terms of just power and home runs being hit in baseball. You know, if you want to theorize that maybe they were mixing in some uh, juice balls with all these home run records being chased and Judge and, and Pujols and everything else that was going on, it might have happened because, Scott, it just doesn't really make sense in my mind that we would see a downtick from June to July to August, and then it would go back up in September. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the conspiratorial way of looking at it. And, you know, even if you don't want to be conspiracy minded, just incompetence, you could you could make that accusation since last year, you know, we were thought we were looking at the effect of the dead and balls last year. And it turns out there are mis mixing a lot of old balls in still a lot of the juice balls in still and there wasn't really much rhyme or reason behind when old balls were being used and new balls were being used. So we couldn't really get a sense for how the league was going to play with the new ball last year. And that that seems largely like a, a measure of incompetence incompetence or indifference and, and maybe something similar happened i think what it actually was though is it was just an unusually hot september particularly in in places like california and you'll remember when we checked it earlier in september it was actually much higher than 11.8 percent it was uh it was higher than june even it was, it was september was shaping up to be the most homer friendly month of the season and so the fact that it dropped below the june amount by the end suggests to me, okay, things started cooling off by the end of September. And uh, and so the home run to fly ball rate fell. And I, May, May was similar. You know, you said there was a big increase from April to May. Remember the first couple weeks of May? That wasn't so much the case. It was an unusually cold April this year. And, uh, you know, the reason I'm emphasizing hot and cold, well, baseballs always have traveled better in the heat, but that's that's going to be even more the case with the widespread use of the humidor, how it's stored, the conditions that it's required to be stored in. It's, it's, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it needs to be stored in the same temperature, the same humidity at every stadium. That, that's going to suppress how well the ball flies in colder, drier months, but it's going to improve the way the ball flies in warmer, uh, humid, more humid months. So we're going to see this greater disparity based on environment. 
at least if those if 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 baseball sticks with those those settings that were applied to the humidor this year. Yeah, I think it's something to remember for next year where if you have a proven hitter who gets off to a really slow start, you I we saw Marcus Semien get off to a dreadful start this year and then uh basically from May on, really June 1st on, but you know, he got back on track as the weather started to heat up a little bit. Just keep that in mind. Maybe you stream pitchers a little bit more, uh get as much pitching in for the month of April as you possibly can, but I do think if they use similar balls next year, the humidors are in play that we will see offense down in April once again as the weather starts to heat up, as the humidity starts to rise, then we will see more offense around baseball. Speed, less home runs, obviously meant more players on base, right? So that led to more steals overall. 2,487 steals was the were the most that we've seen in baseball since 2017. Players with 40-plus steals the last three seasons, we had just one this season. Uh, that was John Birdie. We had two last year. We had three in 2020, uh, in 2019. Players with th- uh, 30 plus steals, six this past season, six last year, eight back in 2019. Players with 20 plus steals, 24 this past year, 19 in 2021 last year, and then 21 back in 2019. So, Scott, where we really saw the biggest increase here was the mid tier. We saw more players. With 10 plus, 20 plus steals this past season, then uh, obviously in 2021 and in 2019. Mm-hmm. And something that we've talked about is next year the rule changes coming in bigger bases, limited pickoff attempts. We've already kind of theorized that that will lead to more 10 and 20 plus uh, steal players than we, we've seen in recent years. So I think that number is actually going to rise next year as well. What do you think about it? Oh, I think it's going to rise a ton. And I think you've seen it basically play out that way in the minors. Uh, It's, I don't know that I can pull up the article quickly enough to give the exact stats. Uh, Actually, maybe I can. I think it's my pinned tweet. So I'll try to pull that up. But uh, basically, and one of the people who studied this for, for MLB, his name is Morgan Sword. He said that if the increase in stolen base rates in the minors with these rule changes is applied to the majors, we're going to see stolen bases return to a level they were in the early 2000s. So that, you know, 2015, if 2015 seems like a long time ago to you, the early 2000s seems like ancient history. I don't even know how old you were in the year 2000, Frank. You're probably like seven years old or something. Nine, nine. I'd like some credit there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you were nine. So that, I mean, that seems like ancient history to you, but what was the number you gave for 40 steel players this year? One? There was one. It was John Birdie. That was it. You know how many players stole? uh, Let me see if I have the stat right. No, I didn't write down how many players had 40 or more. Okay, you know how many players had... Okay, so 20 steals or more. You said there were 24 of those this year. You know how many players had 20 steals or more in the year 2000? I will say 40. 42. That's pretty good. 42. That's pretty good. So close to double. Wow. And, And then I think there's a case to be made that it could even, like... I think Morgan Sword could be underrepresenting this because like minor leaguers were already inclined to run so much more than major leaguers because minor league the minor leagues are more about development than they are about wins and losses, right? So so players are trying to stretch their limits uh sh- 
you know, really push the boundaries of what they're capable of doing so that they can elevate their stock and get to the majors sooner. And, and organizations want them to do that too. So they were already taking much more chances on the bases than, than major leaguers were doing. Basically, these changes, the, the limited pickoff throws and the increased base sizes, and I think it's really the pickoff throws that make the bigger difference. Uh, what they were doing, what, what those changes meant is minor leaguers improved their steal rate, their success rate on stolen bases to what it already is in the majors. It's about 75%. If there's a similar increase in the majors, if it gets to be an 80 to 85% success rate on stolen bases, like the reward is very much worth the risk at that point. So I think we could see guys running wild. I mean, what we're talking about with the pickoff limits is, is a, a, a pitcher is allowed two, enga- two disengagements per at bat, which it can include several things, but one of them is pickoff throws. They're limited to two pickoff throws, maximum. If those are their two engagements, two disengagements, fine. But that means once they've already had their two disengagements, runner can take a pretty big lead. Now, he can't walk halfway to second base because the pitcher could still throw over, and and if he gets him out, he gets him out. But if the pitcher throws over a third time and doesn't get the runner out, then it's a bulk. So he gets on second base anyway. So the pitcher's not going to throw over unless he's pretty confident he's going to get him out. Right. Uh, and, and how often do pick, pick off attempts succeed as it is? Very, very infrequently. So runners are going to be taking big leads. And that's uh, the, the success rate is going to climb so much on stolen bases that you're just going to see a lot more runners running. A lot of guys we can't envision as 20 steel guys now are going to become 20 steel guys. Certainly 10, 15 is going to be within the range of possibility for, 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 for most players, I would say. I'm not saying every player is going to get 10 to 15 steals, but it's going to be a lot more than I think people are imagining right now. And uh, it's, it's going to be similar to uh, what the juice ball era did for home runs. It, create, it, it made an environment where everybody who's anybody gets 20 home runs and you can find them in all sorts of places. I, I think you're going to see a similar effect with stolen be- bases. The overall number won't be as high, but they're just going to be more widespread. And so that's going to change the game in some pretty significant ways too. And I also think for the better, because right now we're to a point in rotisserie leagues where stolen bases are so scarce and only so few players contribute them that the early rounds kind of feel like just get all your stolen bases while you can. Like that's that's all anybody really cares about with hitters. And and I think that's I don't think that's good for the health of the game either. I I'd like to see a wider variety of strategies in the early round. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that these numbers from the past three years, looking about how how stolen bases changed this year, I, I think they're completely irrelevant because uh, we're about to get a a major environment change for stolen bases, unlike. Unlike we've ever seen before, really, because other changes to to the way teams have run have been entirely uh, based on how strategies have changed, how much based on uh, how how easy it was to score runs other ways, or just how much of an understanding teams have of the numbers. They've decided that the reward on a stolen bases wasn't as worth the risk. And that's that that's what's changed how off how frequent stolen bases are in the past. But now we're seeing changes applied to the physical char- characteristics of the game. 
that are going to change stolen bases unlike we've ever seen before. Yeah, I agree, Scott. I agree with that take completely. You know, in the past, really the past five years, right, during the juice ball, it's, you know, balls are flying out so frequently with the success rate down on steals. Why would you take the chance of someone on base running into an out, which could turn a potential two-run homer into a solo home run? Like, that's basically the logic behind it. And last point on this, before we move on, I think we could see a lot of these, like, 20 and 30 steal guys also turn into, like, 30 and 40 steal guys, Scott. Like, Ronald Acuna yeah. comes to mind where, you know, if I think he can go wild. I think he can steal like 40 plus bases or even I'm looking at the the top players in sprint speed right now. Corbin Carroll is actually first in baseball. He can run wild. Bobby Witt Jr., uh, Trey Turner still up there, top five in baseball. Uh, O'Neill Cruz actually ranks really, really high on this list, 12th. Julio Rodriguez is 16th. So these are just guys that are already really fast and maybe now they yeah. put their tools to good use moving forward. I, I think somebody's going to steal 60 this year and it wouldn't surprise me if somebody stole 70 somebody did still 60 in the in 2000 to continue with that comparison Luis Castillo of the Marlins led the majors with 62 steals that year uh, three players had 50 or more and like I said I think it could go beyond that I think uh, maybe the people applying these changes don't understand relative to the minors um there may be they may be underestimating the improvement because as I said, it's it's more of a risk analysis for major league teams in a way it isn't for minor league teams and the the risk is going to become so worth it that they're going to go from being cautious on the base paths to pretty aggressive I think and I think we already started to see it it not completely changed Scott I know you said like the the past three full season trends don't really matter that much and I agree because I think it's going to look completely different. But we already started to see teams be more aggressive this year in terms of running the ball. So uh, I think yeah. it's going to be <laughs> the wild, wild west heading into next yeah. season in terms of steals. On the other side, pitching obviously was much better uh, with home runs and, and just scoring down around baseball. The league-wide ERA was 3.97. The first time it's been below four since, you guessed it, 2015, which was <laughs> just before the juice, the juice ball. Innings pitched, they were up compared to... 2021, which makes sense because we were obviously coming off the shortened 2020 season. Pitchers with 200 plus innings. Uh, there were eight this past season. Sandy Alcantara led all of baseball with 228 and two thirds innings pitched. That was the most since David Price had 230 back in 2016. Uh, that number was cut in half last year. There was only four in 2021, 15 back in 2019 with 200 plus innings. Uh, if you drop that number to 180, we had 27 this past season, only 20 last year, 33 back in 2019. I don't personally see that changing very much, Scott. I think the way that baseball is trending right now, we're probably going to live in that 25 to 30 pitchers getting 180 plus innings. Is there any reason that you believe that number will rise or fall dramatically either way? No. No, I think that's going to continue to trend down, but slowly. As it already has been, yeah. I don't. I don't think any of the rule changes that are going to be taking effect next year, or any environmental changes that I can anticipate, uh, are going to improve that. I mean, I guess it's possible that offense decreases to the point that pitchers are just naturally able to go deeper because they're not having to throw as many pitches. But I doubt that. 
especially if you're thinking, if you're thinking the shift ban, quote unquote, shift ban is going to increase the overall number of base runners. That's going to force pitchers to work harder. So it, it's probably going to negate, you know, the, the offense going down in general, but runners on bases going up probably going to lead to basically the same trends we've been seeing already in recent years as far as how deep pitchers work into games. What about those pesky saves? Well, they were slightly better this season. 1,232 total saves. That was the most since 2018. How many pitchers had 30-plus saves? We had 10 this past season, 9 last year, 11 in 2019. So those numbers are all relatively similar. Pitchers with 20-plus saves, we had 18 this past season, 19 last year, 22 in 2019, also kind of similar. And then pitchers with 10-plus saves, 35 this year, 29 last season, 37 uh, back in 2019. So I looked a little bit deeper, and it seems like there were more pitchers. If everything was the same with the numbers I just gave you, yet there was more saves overall, that means there had to be more pitchers getting less than 10 saves, Scott, which clearly is not what we want for fantasy. Obviously, we'd, we'd like to have more devoted closers and uh, pitchers that we could rely on for saves, but uh, I haven't... Yep you know, dove too deep into this yet, but it seems like there was more in that like one to nine save range than there has been in recent years. Yeah, I, that would make sense. I think that's exactly what's happening is, is teams look more at how high leverage a situation is and, and employ their relievers based on that rather than having roles that are tied to innings. You're seeing... More closer committees, fewer straight-up closers. I, I don't think it's, you know, I, I think some people exaggerate sometimes how much that's happening because we still did have how many relievers with 20 saves or more? 18. So, Yep, 18 this season. And we still had 10 with 30 or more. So a third of all teams had what I basically call a full-time closer if you're getting... 30 or more saves mm-hmm. over the course of an entire season. It's hard to do that if you're not getting them, the vast majority of them basically from start to finish. So that's still a third of the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but we are seeing things continue to trend that way where uh, at least for stretches of the season, a lot of teams don't really seem to know who their closer is by design or not. And Obviously, I'm going to dive more into this in the offseason. I think the goal as of now, if you play in a Roto League, I like to come away with three save sources typically. You have nine pitchers that you can play. I like to go six starting pitchers, three relievers. I think the goal should be try and get one closer you think can give you 30-plus. Just basically how I broke it down, right? One that you think can give you 20-plus. You know, Maybe it's part of a committee, but you like the skills kind of uh, for that pitcher. And then one that will give you 10 to 20, where you know you take a shot on someone, again, who has good skills, questionable bullpen, maybe questionable manager, you don't know what to do. Uh, but if you get yeah. each of those, then you get 60 saves. And I'm sure you're competing at least in the top half of the league in terms of saves. Oh, yeah. 60 saves will get you in the upper third of the league. I looked at all my Roto teams. This this was the case. So if you get, nice. if you get 230 save guys, you're golden. And I kind of I, I I kind of agree with you. I think saves can be a very easy category to win, but the 
players who contribute to the saves category are the most specialized of all. They don't really contribute that much in anything else. So I'm still very reluctant to invest too much in a guy who's only going to contribute to that category because what if, you know, what if what if Josh Hader had his blow up in April instead of July, you know, and, and that it you saw him drafted in round two in some 15 leagues, usually higher stakes ones. I don't think the average fantasy player was drafting Josh Hader in round two. But you saw those like really uh, the, the, the most valuable, trustworthy closers. You saw them drafted higher than ever this year. And I'm still thinking that's just there's just too much risk to that for the sake of that one category. But at the same time, because saves can be a very easy category to win. I, I look at, you know, I, I feel like I feel like that's what's been missing with my roto teams the past couple years is I'm just not doing as well in the saves category as I used to. Because it used to be pretty easy to find pop-up closers and just plug them in and, and they'll remain the closer for the rest of the season or long enough anyway to make a serious contribution in the category. But that's becoming less so. So I think... I'm going to be committed to getting three guys who I think are their team's closer. But I still don't think I'm going to go for like a Josh Hader or a Liam Hendricks or a very high-end guy. Like maybe maybe the Kenley Jansen tier, he was somebody who was going, what, round seven, round eight this this past year. Maybe yeah. I'll, I'll grab my first one there uh, and, and then go kind of, lower end with the other two hopefully i get a scott barlow out of it or a david or daniel bard Mm -hmm. i should say barlow didn't get to 30 saves but bard did barlow came close enough so i think that's the way i'm going to approach it and and that's not that different from the way i approached it before that's what i tried to do before but now i'm going to make sure i do it as opposed to just trying to do it and being okay if i don't well, a little sneak peek, Scott. The first pitcher that i drafted in this uh draft that i am playing out once again May have been a closer, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. (laughs) For those watching live or on demand, please hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, and drop a comment if you haven't already. For those listening, please hook us up with a five-star rating and a review on Apple. We're closing in on 3,000 reviews, so it's a pretty big milestone. The bosses like that kind of stuff, so please help us out if you can. If we helped you win a championship or you just enjoyed the content, again, leave us a five-star rating and review. If you listen on Spotify, you can also leave a rating there, five stars. Hook us up. Help us out. Uh, coming up on Wednesday night slash Thursday morning will be our famous 2022 award show with live Arizona Fall League updates from our guy Chris Welsh once again. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll get to some news and notes here on Fantasy Baseball Today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. 
With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash MLB podcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash MLB podcast to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash MLB podcast. The news and notes. Obviously, Scotty, we're in the we're entering the offseason. We've got the playoffs going on, so there's not a ton of news going on, but some things that I thought were kind of interesting. Ozzy Albies is no longer sporting a cast to protect his fractured right pinky finger, but is unlikely to be activated for the NLDS if the Braves make it further than that, then perhaps we could see Ozzy Albies. Speaking of those Braves, Scott, they did it again. The devil magic that they continue to work. Mm. They signed Spencer Strider to a six-year, $75 million deal. I'm being a little bit facetious because there is risk on both sides. Obviously, signing a player this young, you never know what can happen, right? Like, particularly a hard-throwing pitcher. Yeah, and, I mean, there's a chance he washes out after two years, you know. But I, most people's reaction instantly, Scott, is how could Spencer Schreiner take this deal? You know, bet on yourself, which I also understand. Like, look at Juan Soto. He got offered the biggest contract in Major League history and he did not take it. He's betting on himself. So everyone's different. But to have that kind of, you know, financial stability, it's... it's 70, 75 million it's guaranteed. pretty legit stuff, so... Like, that's... You're set for life, you know? Like, if, if you've gotten this far in baseball, you want to make sure you're set for life. I feel like... I feel like that's the position I take. Uh, you know, obviously negotiating the best deal you can for yourself, but but ultimately taking it. I, I think that's what I do. What's interesting about this... Spencer Strider contract relative to some of the others is, you know, usually the money's pretty, pretty evenly distributed over the life of the contract. And in Spencer Strider's case, it's very different. They're not, he's getting like 20 million plus beginning in year three, I think it is three or four and not much at all the years prior to that. So, you know, they, you look at some of the brave short-term deals. They got they're paying Ozuna a lot of money the next couple of years. They're paying Charlie Morton a lot of money next year. So maybe that's what the breakdown of this deal is is meant to account for. Just okay, Strider's not going to cost us much while we're still paying those guys, and then and then we'll pay him like a really high-end arm after that. Or maybe they're going to make a run at the Grom. On a short-term <laughs> deal, or Verlander on a short-term Ooh, deal. Scotty. You know, I said I said the other day when they when they uh, extended Morton. Okay, this probably means Degrom's out, right? Because they don't have a spot in their rotation. I was still thinking Ian Anderson's part of the rotation. He's nothing's guaranteed for Ian Anderson anymore. So uh, I, I'm guessing Bryce Elder would be the favorite for that fifth spot going into next year. And Mike Soroka. No, well, yeah, Soroka, but the, you can't count on Soroka, and there's no reason to guarantee Elder or anything. So maybe, True. maybe they will make a play for one of those uh, perennial Cy Young candidates. I don't know. Scotty, they've, they've been most they've both been mostly closely connected to Degrom. Like, there's yeah. been a lot of chatter that that's where Degrom wants to be. I, I don't know, but 
Scotty stirring the pot, huh? (laughs) Mets just got eliminated. He's already talking about signing DeGrom. Jeez, man. Uh, Last point on Spencer Strider. He did have two years of team control in 23 and 24, and then three years of arbitration eligibility after that. So if you look at the entirety of this extension, they only bought out one year of his free agency. So he will still hit free agency when he's 29 years old. There's a Um, team option too, which, you know, if he's going strong, then obviously they'll exercise that option. But yeah, he, I I think he basically gets a raise for maybe all, but the last two years of that deal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any reason to, I, I don't think there's any reason to, uh, to blame Strider for taking it personally. The Phillies signed interim manager Rob Thompson to a two-year contract extension. He obviously did a fantastic job. When he took over, they were below 500, and they wound up making the playoffs, and now they're advancing to the NLDS. So shout-out to the Phillies. Cubs president of baseball operations Jed Hoyer said they will extend the qualifying offer to catcher Wilson Contreras, which I think is something like one year, 18 or $19 million. And if another team signs Wilson Contreras, then... They earn a supplementary pick, something like a late first or early second round pick. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, this was kind of a wacky one. Aroldis Chapman left off the Yankees ALDS roster after skipping a mandatory workout. Apparently, he just flew to Miami on his day off and stayed there. And I've seen reports that that all but confirms he will not be back with the Yankees this offseason. I don't know what they're going to do, but I could see them either signing a big-name closer, reliever, or trading for somebody. I don't know that Clay Holmes or Scott Efros will be the closer of the Yankees next year. The Giants are planning to decline Evan Longoria's $13 million club option, which would make him a free agent for the first time in his career. And some early off-season rumors, Scotty. The Giants will not only pursue Aaron Judge, but also Trey Turner. Apparently, Turner prefers the East Coast uh, and could be a target for the Phillies. So... Damn. I mean, those are two of the biggest names available. Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa could be. Um, he could opt out of his deal, which I, I think he's leaning towards doing. So lots of big names, lots of shortstops available once again. Per Bob Nightingale, who has never gotten anything wrong before, uh, the White Sox plan to part ways with Jose Abreu. <laughs> this one's actually kind of surprising, Scott. Uh, mm-hmm. That would likely move Andrew Vaughn to first base. And... Eloy Jimenez, the everyday designated hitter for the White Sox. Okay. Now you could understand like the, the White Sox have too many plotting corner types and, and probably right. need to get more athletic, uh, more defensive minded, especially if, you know, especially with some of those alignment changes that are coming next year. So you can understand why they do this. Uh, but I'm still not ready to rule out a Bray returning. I think he'd prefer to be there. So we'll see. He's a good bat still, obviously. Yeah, I mean, he's not, he's going to have no problem finding a job if he wants to continue playing, which I assume he will. What did we get right? What did we get wrong this year? Some lessons learned. Don't want to spend too much time on this guy because I, I do want to reveal this team to you. I'm, I'm obviously so excited to, to hear what you have to say about this team, Scott, because uh, obviously no one knows what they're doing at this stage. It's October 10th and I'm drafting a team. It's completely ridiculous. Oh, I got a pretty good idea what I'm doing, actually. Oh, all right, Scott. I feel, I feel good about my 2023 plans. All right. Not, no player specifics yet, but just in terms of like broad strategy. But anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, all right, so 
basically, Scott, I looked into our sleepers, breakouts, and busts, the last iterations of those articles. I looked into our bold yeah. predictions. Um, so I'll pull those up in just a second. But okay. uh, basically, players we were higher on that we got right, players that you know we were wrong about. Is there anyone that comes to top of mind immediately? I mean, I have all of them written down. I didn't realize you wrote about so many sleepers and breakouts, Scott. There's like... 20 on each of these articles. So, uh, you know, you had yeah. Julio Rodriguez on your sleepers 3.0, which is obviously a huge standout here. And uh, someone you get a ton of credit for Justin Verlander, his ADP at the time was one Oh five. So he's likely going to win the Cy Young. He finished as one of the best pitchers in baseball this year, but also on this list, you had Charlie Morton, you had Riley green, you had Aaron Ashby. So as always, we've got a little bit of a mixed bag here. Yeah. And like I'm, I'm okay with that. You're, you know, I, I feel like a success rate on these sleepers, breakouts, bus columns of fifty percent is like really, really good. And maybe some people will say, ah, that's a cop out. Fifty percent, that's a failing grade. But like the whole idea is you're going out on a limb for someone who's not expected to do what you're saying he's going to do. So of course the success rate is going to be relatively low. Uh, I think the only one I got a 50, like I, I did best with my bust picks this year. I will say having already looked, having already done this for myself, looked at <laughs> how many I got right from each column. The busts were the best overall, but yeah, I mean, some of the breakout picks, Alejandro Kirk, I'll take that as a win, even though he kind of, he kind of stumbled to the finish line a bit. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, Corey Seager kind of was, I mean, he had 33 home runs. Had some trouble with the shift, but that won't be. I, like I, he stands out to me as the the single player who might improve the most from the shift ban, Corey Seager. So once again, I'm going to be very high on Corey Seager next year, as you should. And, and I agree, Scott. I mean, he was someone who, like, again, every time I'm on the clock in this draft that I'm doing, I'm you know deep diving each player, players that I'm considering, and the expected stats were so much better for Corey Seager this year. The XBA. Uh, he still makes a ton of contact. He had a career high in terms of home runs. There's so, so, so much to like about Corey Seager heading into yeah. next year. Some of those players that were on your bus list who, uh, yeah, let's just run through some of them. Cody Bellinger, obviously, <laughs> with um, his struggles in spring training, that really was a precursor to the entire season, which just really never got anything going this year for Cody Bellinger. Uh, Javier Baez is one that was on here that you got right. Trevor Rogers, that was a great call because I know he's a pretty popular breakout candidate this year. Max Muncie, Jesse Winker, uh, Giovanni Gallegos. Technically Jared pitched, Walsh. You know, Giovanni Gallegos technically pitched well this year, but Ryan Helsley was yeah. just better, so he wound up yeah. losing uh, his right. job. And I didn't think Gallegos was going to pitch poorly. I just didn't think the... The Cardinals were going to commit to him as a closer. And uh, Ryan Mountcastle is here. I'll, I'll I'll count that as a win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he was not great. He only hit like two-thirds as many home runs as he hit last year. Um, Austin Meadows clearly was terrible. Trent Grisham, Avisel Garcia. Yeah, I got, I got a lot of bus picks right. But then, you know, uh, the ones I didn't get right look very, very wrong because I'm not calling them busts unless they're being rated highly. So the ones I got wrong include Marcus Simeon, Randy Rosarena, Zach Gallen. Okay. But yeah, for the most part, the bust picks were pretty good. I was going to ask, Scott, did you learn anything from undervaluing a player like Randy Rosarena where it's hard to differentiate which players this actually matters for and which ones it doesn't, but he just kind of strikes me as this freak athlete where 
while he doesn't have these gaudy stat cast numbers, he's just a really, really good player. And we saw that on display again this season. And I think Jazz Chisholm is kind of in that same discussion. His stat cast numbers are actually a little bit better. He's yeah. not a very disciplined hitter. He strikes out quite a bit. He doesn't walk all that much. So there's flaws in his game, but mm-hmm. he's just like a Rosarena. He's just a freak athlete. So do you learn anything from maybe undervaluing guys like that? I'm going to say no. And I'm not going to say like, I'm not just saying that to be like bullheaded, you know, I think, uh, I think there came a point where in my evaluation of players and, and exercises like this, I, um, I tried to learn too many lessons. I, I, I saw, I saw enough exceptions to my rules happen that it kind of just muddled the whole process for me. And I, I, I kind of gave too many passes to players that I should have been skeptical of. I think a healthy skepticism was warranted for Randy or Rosarena. Now that he's kind of broken the process two years in a row, okay, I'm, I might make a special exception for him going forward. He's just somebody who this rule doesn't apply to, and I can accept that. But I needed to see that second year of it to come to, to that conclusion for him. And I don't think it's a reason to abandon the process. I think, I think there have been times when I've been too quick to um, abandon the process because of a miss when really it was just an exception to uh, to what was a pretty good rule. One look at my sleepers and breakouts, Scott, on this list, and this is 2.0. I think the 1.01s were a lot better. They had like Shane McClanahan on them, and uh, I don't know if I wrote about Sandy Alcantara, but obviously I was, I was pretty excited about him. Alex Cobb was on one of those lists, but the, the second iteration of these were fr- flat out not good. Uh, sleepers 2.0, Eddie Rosario, Andrew Benintendi, Jamer Candelario, Marcus Stroman, Jesus Lazardo. Stroman was fine. Lazardo was really good when he pitched, but the hitters, I think I just, you know, have to swing for the fences more. I mean, those are pretty boring guys. They were they were basically just players I thought were undervalued because they were boring and I thought they were going to outperform their draft value, and it just turned out that they were really boring and they really weren't that great. Uh same thing for the breakouts. Willie Adams was very good. Lourdes Gurriel fits into that same category I just spoke about. Uh, O'Neill Cruz was not up as soon as basically everyone thought he was going to be. Uh, Jesus Sanchez was a mess. Eduardo Rodriguez was not good. He just kind of had a weird season because he had like a personal thing going on and he missed time with injury. Taylor Rogers for the first two or three months looked really, really good with the breakouts. He still gave you 30 saves if you had him in the lineup for all those. Uh, but then he kind of fizzled out too. I think something I learned here, Scott, is for sleepers and breakouts, I- I'm going to take a few more chances. I'm I'm not just going to look at players that can slightly outperform their ADP. It's, you know, yep. I, I think I just have to be a little bit more, um, take a little bit more chances on guys like that. Yeah, I came to that conclusion a couple years ago too, and that I'd rather, specifically for bus, like I'd, I'd rather avoid the true disaster picks as opposed to, and eh, this guy's going to be slightly overvalued. So I'll call him a bust. I think, I think there's a more appropriate label for that player than bust. And I, you know, I might be less successful on the bust picks overall. turns out that wasn't the case this year, but I, I think it's, it's uh it's, it's a bigger deal to avoid players who are just absolutely going to wreck you with an early pick as opposed to, just kind of underwhelm you with the mid to late round pick. Bus 2.0, brutal for me. I had Dalton Varsho in that list. Austin Riley, who was amazing this year. Ryan Mountcastle was a bust. That's fine. Jesse Winker, sure. 
Carl Sordan. I, I have this thing, Scott, where I, I'm almost too safe when it comes to injuries. So Carlos Sordan, the velocity being down late last season, not getting the qualifying offer from the White Sox. I just really bought into that narrative. Uh, but I think once we saw him pitch in spring training and the contract that the Giants gave him, that should have given me more confidence yeah. to be in on Carlos Sordan. Um, so I think that's one lesson, you know, maybe don't worry about some of these injured guys so much if if they're mm. looking good in spring <laughs> training. Um, I would have beat, you know like, beat yourself up for Carlos Rodon as a bust. I, I do think spring training, seeing him in spring right. training, relieved a lot of my own concerns personally. Uh, and maybe, maybe you, you know, I had a bust 3.0 article. You didn't. You just stopped at 2.0. So maybe if you had written a 3.0, he would have, uh, you would have corrected for Carlos Rodon. But I think, I think it was right to approach him as a very risky asset who with bust potential, even though that's not the way it played out. Players that I was higher on, obviously, if you go back and listen to our starting pitcher previews, Sandy Alcantara is someone, I think I had like a 10-minute monologue just talking about how much I love Sandy Alcantara this season. Shane O'Mac, Shane McClanahan, you know the deal. Here comes the money. <laughs> Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Now, what I need to do is trust myself more because as much as I liked Sandy and Shane O'Mac, I just didn't have enough shares. So that that's kind yeah. of the next evolution of my analysis is buying into what I'm actually telling people. And the profit pocket, we can't forget about it. We had a group of four first basemen that I labeled the profit. That's P-R-O-F-I-T, not like a religious profit. Some people were confused about what kind of profit I was talking about. But <laughs> these are players that are going to, pro going to provide profit in fantasy. Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins, Joey Votto, CJ Crone. Votto was a huge miss. And I think there's a pretty good lesson to be learned there too. Like just buying old players coming off clear outlier seasons, at least for Votto, it was power. I think that's just not a recipe for success. CJ Crone was very good. Josh Bell was good for like half the year. Reese Hoskins was fine. So I'll give myself like two and a half out of four. I, I think that's okay. Uh, bold <laughs> predictions. Scott, you actually crushed it with your bold predictions this year. Boom! Bold jo and the beautiful. Joe Adele has more combined home runs and steals than Jared Kelnick. They were tied with 12. That one's like, whatever. Jake <laughs> McGee doesn't get more than five saves. He finished with three saves and a 6.81 ERA. That is just prime time, and I wish I listened to you because I drafted him in the main event, and he was absolutely <laughs> awful. I, for what it's worth, I didn't think he was going to be awful. I just thought Camilo <laughs> Duvall was going to take that job and run with it for the Giants. That, that was really the the gist of that prediction, but whatever. I got it right. That is exactly what he did. Uh, CJ Abrams leads the national league in stolen bases. Uh, we could skip over that one. Uh, Dalton <laughs> Varsho and Alejandro Kirk are both top five catchers. There's something going on on CBS right now where you can't, I can't pull up the leagues that I played in. I, I, I think there's some kind of transition period they're going through, but at least in terms of points leagues, they're both top five catchers. Scott. Yeah, Boom. baby. Varsho and Kirk. It's a great call. Uh, my bold predictions, something I learned, Scott, uh, I think I need to be less bold with, with my bold predictions. <laughs> Lourdes Gurriel finishes as the best hitter on the Blue Jays. What was I thinking? Uh, we have just one 30-30 bat this year, and his name is Akil Badu. <laughs> what happened there? Uh, we, had, we actually had zero 30-30 bats this season. Uh, we did have four 25-25. Kyle Tucker, Julio Rodriguez, Adolis Garcia, and Marcus Semien. Uh, Jeremy Pena finishes as a top three fantasy hitter in the Astros lineup. It looked pretty good early on. I, I think Jeremy Pena is a player. That was pretty bold, too. And Shane Bieber finishes no better than third best 
in the Guardians rotation for fantasy this year. He he was clearly the best. Uh, but the Guardians in general, Tristan McKenzie was SP18. Cal Quantrill was SP31. Pretty yeah. surprising stuff. So Cal Quantrill is the strangest player to me. I have no idea what makes him good, but he's done it two years in a row. Yeah, he's kind of like right-handed Marco Gonzalez. You just don't really understand it. Uh, I, I mentioned this last week, the players that were on the most championship teams, and uh, I mentioned that Justin Verlander, I, I think, was going to be on a large majority of them. He was indeed on the most championship teams this season. So someone who, yeah. you know, in early drafts was around pick 100. And once we saw him in spring training, he moved up into like the four to six round range, four to seven. And he was a top three pitcher in fantasy. So makes sense to me. Oscar Gonzalez and Jake McCarthy, two outfielders we picked up. Second half of the season, they were both very good. Shane McClanahan, there was a lot of profit with him. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, similar to Gonzalez and McCarthy, you picked him up late, performed pretty well for you. Jordan Alvarez, Aaron Judge, second, third round sluggers that were obviously both amazing this year. Uh, Sandy Alcantara was the starting pitcher um, version of Jordan and Judge. He was, you know, a second, third yeah. round pick and likely to win the National League Cy Young. Dalton Varsho. It's like the fifth or sixth catcher being drafted off the board, but performed like a top three guy, so he was amazing. Uh, and Michael Harris. Yeah, I mean, that, that one speaks for itself. Near, I think he nearly went 2020. I uh, got called up midway point of the season, basically, and he was an absolute stud. So this list makes a ton of sense to me, Scotty. Yeah, I mean, Oscar Gonzalez, Jake McCarthy, Gunnar Henderson, that's kind of a chicken and egg situation where they, they weren't on the champion they didn't make the championship teams championship teams but the championship teams uh were obviously in a position to pick them up late in the year so that's why those guys are on there but i think justin verlander shane mcclanahan sandy alcantara being such guys who gave back their value and then some at starting pitcher like the three biggest examples of that and then aaron judge of course makes total sense since he was far and away the best hitter in fantasy and wasn't drafted like it. Jordan Alvarez is kind of surprising that he's that high. Why him specifically? You know, there were other players who put up first-round numbers without costing you a first-round pick. So that's a, that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I absolutely expected to see Verlander, McClanahan, Judge, and Alcantara on here. All right, Scotty. Well, we're kind of up against it here. Should I talk about this team? Should I save it for Thursday? That's eh, not really necessary. Uh, it depends how much you want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do, but, you know, sorry, we're pretty late in the podcast already. All right, whatever, we'll do it real quick. I couldn't help myself. Hopped in a way-too-early NFBC draft champions. It's a 15-team, 5 by 5 roto. It's draft and hold, so it's 50 rounds. There are no waivers or trades, which is crazy for someone drafting in October for the following season because we just have no idea what's going to go on. It's, as I mentioned, a 50-round draft, um, and I had the third overall pick, Scott. So my first five picks in this draft were... Aaron Judge, I took third overall. Jose Altuve, I came back and took him in the second round. Emmanuel Class A was my third round pick, which was, that's what I alluded to earlier. The reason why I did that, specifically in this format, you almost want to, you don't need to, but you want to have a lockdown closer, especially when we're this far out. I just have no idea what's going to happen with closers <laughs> in the offseason. True. He, he was the second closer drafted, and, and I had him in a few spots this year. He's amazing, so I felt okay making that pick. I got Starling Marte in the fourth round, and then I took my first starting pitcher, Shane Bieber, in round five. 
And pitching went so late, Scott. Like, DeGrom last to the third round. Verlander went in the fourth. It's almost like everyone had the same idea of we're all just going to load up on hitters in the first two or three rounds, and then we're going to start attacking pitching. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much high-end pitching out there, and hitting high-end hitting is becoming scarcer. So that's... I mean, it's discouraging to see that so many had the, that idea, and... You know, I wonder if if it'll be different in different league formats. This is kind of a specialized format. Obviously, 15 teams and super early. And the the NFBC landscape is just kind of bonkers overall. So I don't know that it'll actually play out that way with every league. But I I hope it's a better kept secret than it appears to be so far. Round six through 10, Scott. Here's who I wound up with. Joe Musgrove, he's my SB2 with Shane Bieber. I took Tim Anderson. In round seven, I just I felt so good about that. He was like a third round, fourth round pick last year. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe I've I've always liked Tim Anderson. I did you know take a bit of a chance. I took Gunnar Henderson in round eight. Third base is terrible, and that is the position he played most. So he will start with third base eligibility. Scotty, I got your guy William Contreras as my catcher one in round nine, and then uh, I got George Kirby as my SP three in round ten. Okay, it seems like there's a drop off there in the player pool in general, if Contreras is your ninth pick. So you go from Musgrove, Anderson, Gunnar Henderson, seven, six, seven, and eight, and then Con- William Contreras and George Kirby, nine and 10. That, that feels like a drop off there. Uh, yeah. Not, not seeing the whole draft and, and not having ranked players that far yet. I can't say for sure that's the case, but that's, that's how it feels to me. Rounds 11 through 15. I took Giancarlo Stanton, Chris Bassett, He's my SP4 at this point. Pete Fairbanks, which might be a curious pick, but again, trying to project closers, relievers, bullpens this far out, just kind of draft for skills and, and hope that uh, they win out ultimately. And then I took Rowdy Telez and Gene Segura. So some kind of boring, safer picks in this range, Scotty, but you know, just kind of fill, filling out the roster spots, filling out the stats. So Stanton, Bassett, Fairbanks, um, Telez, and Segura. I'm kind of surprised just based on how tempted how high I was tempted to rank him and maybe how high I actually ranked him. Rowdy Telez, him going that late 14th round in a 15 team Roto league. So his, his uh, home run total this year was 10th or actually tied for eighth with 35 home runs. And yeah, he didn't hit for much batting average, obviously, but you look at, you look at his breakdown as a hitter. He seems like one of the guys who's going to benefit most from uh, the the the, de- the decreased shifting. And I've noticed, especially when it's a left-handed hitter, kind of a shortcut way to figure this out is look at expected batting average versus actual batting average. And then if you dig deeper, mm-hmm. that's kind of the explanation for why some of these left-handed hitters underperform their expected batting average so much. And I, I think that applies to Rowdy Telez. Mm-hmm. So... You know, if, if he's able to maintain the power into next year and be more like a 250 hitter, then, I mean, obviously that's going to be a steal at this point. That's the hope, Scotty. That's exactly what I saw. 219 batting average. I think his XBA was 240, 35 home runs. But even if it comes down a little bit, 30 homers, 240, 250, something like that, I'll take that from uh, from Rowdy Teles. So, so far, that's my draft through 15 rounds. I'm actually on the clock right now. 
Um, it's a slow draft in October and people are complaining that it's taking too long. So I, I don't really <laughs> understand that. But uh, right yeah. after I finish this podcast, I will make my pick. With all that being said, Scotty, I do have one final team name Tuesday and it's a championship edition one from Joe. And he sent in near Lars wherever Newt Bar was defeated by Albies, your crying Schwarber. <laughs> Albies, your crying Schwarber. I'll be your crying shoulder. Is that yeah. what it's supposed to be? I think okay. these are both song related. I'll be your crying shoulder. Thank you. You like that? Not nearly yeah, as rem- good as Adam Azer. reminded but- <laughs> me of, yeah, that's who it reminded me of. So. Hey, that's why I'm here, right? All right, we're going to wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching a long off-season edition of Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. The NBA is bigger and better than ever. Don't settle for boring analysis and fake hot takes. Get real insider knowledge, real scoops, and really weird ideas about the game we all love. An oddball with Amin El Hassan, that's him, and Charlotte Wilder, that's me. We'll hit you with funny and fearless talk on all things basketball, from the serious stories on the court, the player beefs off of it, and everything in between. You can catch Oddball with Amin El Hassan and Charlotte Wilder every Tuesday through Friday on the DraftKings Network and wherever you listen to your podcasts.